Do you say you're a spiritual person? Uh, lots of people nowadays would. Not necessarily that they wouldn't necessarily say that they're religious, but they would say they're spiritual. Psychology Today, I found a little quote from. It says that spirituality means something different to everyone, but research has shown that skeptics can't stifle the sense that there is something greater than the world we see. We look for patterns, we seek out meaning. Human beings can't help ask big questions. The instinct seems wired into our minds. Well, that's not a surprise, is it, if we've read the Bible? Right at the first chapter, we're told that human beings are made in the image of God. We're created spiritual beings. We're wired for relationship with God. You are, I am. Augustine's famous words. Do they come to mind? Oh God, you have made us for yourself. And our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. So how do we do that? How do you, how do I find rest for our souls? How will the world around us find rest and find a true spirituality, a real freedom to be the people we're meant to be and to have the relationship with God we're meant to be? Well, it's here in Galatians 3. True spirituality is to receive the Holy Spirit of God into your life. That's the headline, and we'll also see it's, it's, it's always been by faith, it's never been by law-keeping. Uh, there's an outline on the back of your uh, service sheet, so maybe have a look at that if um, this uh, seems like a complex passage, this will hopefully lead us through it. Um, and you'll see that the first heading, true spirituality that will satisfy our souls, that will set us free, according to verses 1 to 5 of Galatians 3, is to receive the Holy Spirit of God into our lives. That's what your soul thirsts for, the direct presence of God. We long to know God face to face. We're made for it, but sin cuts us off. But Jesus, when he came and when he died, opened the door again for us to relate to God. So Paul gives them a reminder of their experience in verses 1 to 5, how they became Christians. Verse 1, they clearly saw Jesus portrayed as crucified. Not that Paul did a brilliant drawing or that uh, he and uh, Barnabas and Titus sort of acted out the crucifixion in some way. No, he's, um, he's talking about when he preached about Jesus and the Holy Spirit showed people that it was real, it was true, that Jesus dying wasn't just a a fact in history, but it was a reality that applied to them as they put their faith in him. He paid the price for them. And I I wonder, I mean, just as we start in here, let me just ask you, have you, do you do that or have you ever done that? And just sort of, you know, maybe close your eyes and, and, and thought of Jesus dying on the cross and realize it's for you personally. I don't know, ever seen your name sort of written above it, above where he's dying or over it in your mind's eye, that actually he's taking your punishment and dying in your place. That's what we remember with bread and wine when we come to together around this table, that it's for me, it's for you that he died. Paul saw that really clearly. We looked at it last week, end of chapter 2, verse 20. He, he talks about Jesus as the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was his whole identity. One who was loved and saved and rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ's death. 
one who, well, like the uh, Galatians, when they heard about that uh, in verse 2, we found uh, that they responded, they uh, believed what they heard, and then they received the Holy Spirit of God, God himself living in each and every believer and coming among them as a church. Uh, Verse 5 talks about that, which is uh, why there were miracles uh, amongst them, because God himself present by his spirit. That's the Christian experience. That was the experience for the Galatian Christians. But we've seen, as we've read the early chapters of this letter, for these people, something had gone wrong. And chapter 2, verse 12, if we weren't here last week, tells us that some people had come from Jerusalem and told the Christians, listen, folks, you need to keep the Old Testament law if you're properly going to know God. Uh, This might help us to think this through. If someone to give you a Rolls Royce, they they gave it to you, said it's yours, here are the keys, and um, I don't want you to have to worry about bills. Um, So um, there's a card here that will allow you to fill it up at any garage, and uh, the bill will be paid, uh, the insurance is paid, the uh, garage bills are all paid. I just want you to enjoy this Rolls Royce. I mean, it would be an extraordinary thing if that happened. But And then someone else came along and said, um, Oh, uh, I've got a special offer for you uh, of a Kia on credit. Um, one uh, easy upfront payment and then uh, monthly installments to pay off. Uh, after that. Now, nothing against Kia. They make very nice cars nowadays. But I think we can all agree it's not a Rolls Royce. Uh, uh, it's not a difficult choice for us, is it? If we had to choose Rolls Royce, uh, all, all pay for, given to us, or Kia on credit. Uh, it's not, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't take the Kia for a credit test drive, would you? you there would be no point because you've already got a Rolls Royce to enjoy. Unless you didn't realize the value of what you already had. Unless somehow someone persuaded you that the Kia was better. And that's exactly what seems to be happening for these Galatian Christians. Um, As Pat read it, the the first words that uh, she read out, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul's totally exasperated with them. Has someone cast a spell on you? you've stopped driving your Rolls Royce and you've signed up for a credit agreement with a Kia. What are you doing? He can't believe it. They discovered forgiveness and freedom in Jesus. They'd received the Holy Spirit of God into their lives. But then the Jerusalem people had come along and they told them, listen, you've got to be circumcised. That's the... um, that's the uh, upfront deposit, as it were. And you've got to keep the law. That's the monthly installments paying it back. How did they manage to sell that? Well, I don't know. I mean, perhaps this truth about God paying for us, of God giving it to us for free, the, for free to us, that is, the forgiveness of our sins, the restoration of relationship with him, all done by Jesus... Perhaps that sounded too good to be true. Perhaps for these folk, as for many folk, 
They were so used to paying for everything in their lives that the idea that God would just reestablish their relationship with him that they were built for, that you're built for, and I'm built for through Jesus. The idea, maybe it was just somehow though, these people were persuaded that for them, verse 3, to attain their goal, is how it's put in verse 3, their, their soul's desire for true spirituality, they needed to start keeping the Old Testament law. Whereas the reality was, they already had a true spirituality, the true spirituality. They had freedom through Jesus Christ. Now, for you and me, the temptations will be uh, different. I don't, I'm not sure that, I, I'm sorry, I'm not aware that Jerusalem sends out missionaries to the UK to try and persuade us to um, go down this particular uh, road. But there will always be a church in our part of town or a preacher on the God Channel or something that a friend went to and recommends which claims to offer more freedom to you as a Christian or more intimacy with God or more intellectual credibility or more power to live the Christian life or more health or more wealth or something like that. There will always be someone around and you and I will be open to that teaching because we long for more of God. It's a good thing to know that we know God better. Uh, we want more of him. Uh, and we want to be done with sin in our lives, we, the battle that we keep losing. If someone claims they've got the secret, well, of course they're going to get our attention, aren't they? So it's vital to realize that true spirituality is faith in Christ and the life of the Spirit. That's true spirituality, true freedom. We may need to take some driving lessons to make the most of it, but we're already in the Rolls Royce if we've trusted in Jesus. We're on the right road, so don't be tempted by anything else. Two things then to understand from here that will keep us on track. Number one, it's always been by faith, and number two, it's never been by law-keeping. Verse six, uh, just uh, over the page, isn't it? No, just on the same page. Consider Abraham. And you think, okay, that may seem strange to us, but it's likely it was a favorite topic for these Jerusalem teachers. He was the father of the Jewish nation. He was the one who received the sign of circumcision from God. Okay, says Paul, if you want to go back in time to Abraham, let, let's consider him. Let's think about this man. He was called by God from a pagan background, knew nothing of the God of Israel, and God up front, as he called him, gave him huge and wonderful promises that all nations would be blessed through him, as we see down there in verse 8. And you know what happened, verse 6? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul says, just, just think back. It's always been by faith. It was for Abraham. It's always been that God looks for people who will accept what he says and trust what he says, even when he makes great promises that we can't see how he's going to keep, like forgiving all our sins. And yet we trust him and we turn to him. We repent of our sins and we receive from him. That's all he looks for. This isn't some novelty. It's always been like that. And you see in verse 6, um, 
It talks about being credited with righteousness. I don't know what your uh, bank statement looks like. Mine's here. Uh, This is my spiritual bank statement, um, by the way, rather than the um, uh, pounds and pence one. Um, And um, it says here, Bank of Heaven, spiritual statement, account holder Steve Dival, of January 1970 to 23rd of July 2017. And if we look at my bank statement, we see I'm born and, well, you know, we inherit sin from our parents, don't we? It's not something that we don't start with a clean sheet. We're born and we're in sin already in the debit column and, oh, it's pretty small numbers in the early days when I'm just a little kid. But the balance is kind of negative, and it's more negative, and it's nothing in the credit column, and, well, and there's more sin and more sin, and the numbers are getting bigger in my sort of um, um, 10, 11 years old, and then 28th of May, 1981, there's a deposit of righteousness that wipes out all of the debt and means that on the 29th of May and the 30th of May, even though the sins keeps happening, the balance is righteous. Because the righteousness of Christ was credited to me when I put my faith in him as an 11-year-old. And that is my spiritual bank statement. And if we go to the page that summarizes where it's got to today, it's still righteous. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. And as I put my faith in him as an 11-year-old, his righteousness was credited to my account. Just like Abraham was credited with righteousness all those years ago. I hope there's been a day like that for you. Or a period where looking back you think, oh yeah, it was sometime when I was a child, I don't know where, but by, by the time I was in work and someone challenged me, I thought, yeah, I do believe in Jesus. I know he, I know he died for me. That's my faith. And that's what God wants for us. It's always been by faith. And it means it's never been by law-keeping as well. That's um, the other... Uh, a parallel truth here uh, in, the, in the final verses over the page, 10 to 14, uh, Paul really sort of hammers it home, doesn't he? He repeats it over and over, that it's, it's, it's not by law. Uh, most people in our country try to be law-abiding citizens. We might let ourselves off a bit when it comes to driving and parking. But we, um, we, you know, we try to keep the major laws, and, and so we don't get into trouble. That's the idea anyway. But the thing with the law of God is it it really got down to the details. It was about every part of life and holiness in every part of life, including what you ate, what you wore, and all the rest of it. It had a positive purpose, which was to help God's people to remember they were different. They were chosen by him, and that he wanted them to be holy like he is holy, to be righteous in all the details of life. It pointed to a life of blessing and freedom, but it was double-edged. You can't pick, oh yeah, I'm really good with commandments number one, two, and five, but not so good about the one about coveting. Yeah, I'm not so good. That wasn't the way that God's law worked. 
isn't the way that the law of the land works either, actually. God's law was such that if you kept it, you would know God's blessing. But if you broke it, it talks about in verse 10, the fact that you'd be under the curse of the law, a lawbreaker. And that's the issue. That 100% of, no, nearly 100% of people who've tried to keep the law of God failed. It's different from faith. You can't try to be sort of, you can't try to get racked to God by faith. Great, now I'll keep the law for now, which is what the Galatians were trying because the two don't mix. They're like oil and water. And verse 12 tries to explain that. The law is not a matter of faith. It's about doing. And the fact that we don't do it puts us under the law's curse. But then verse 13, Christ, the one who kept the law, the only one who's ever kept the law of God fully, he not only kept it in his life, he fulfilled it in his death because it demanded a curse, a punishment for every lawbreaker, for every law broken. And so Christ, verse 13, became that curse. He swapped with us in the most extraordinary way. So going back to my imagined spiritual bank statement, the debt that we have, however big it is to God, is swapped onto Jesus and his righteousness is swapped onto us. That's what happens on the cross for every single man, woman, boy or girl who puts their faith in Jesus. And he takes the curse of the law, the punishment of God, in our place. It's the most wonderful news. It's a wonderful freedom. It's never been by law-keeping. That just ruins and wrecks lives and wrecks churches. It's always been about God making people righteous. It wasn't clear how exactly he'd do that before Christ came. But when he came, then all the scriptures that talked about the servant who would come made sense when Jesus came and died. That's true spirituality. And uh, it's the difference between um, do and done. You've possibly heard uh, me say that before, but uh, it's there as, uh, as part of a handout. It's, it's just two letters between do and done, and yet it's all the difference. Religion comes to us. Even, even well-meaning people who want to add Old Testament law to Christianity comes to us and says, do these things, and then God will accept you. Do these things. And he'll be pleased with you. You'll be righteous. That's what all the religions of the world do. It's totally exhausting. Ultimately, it's self-defeating. Because we can't do them. Christ, though, comes and says, I've done it. I've done it. All of it. For you. For all who put their faith in me. And there's such, such wonderful freedom in that. Christianity is all about what Christ has done. It's freeing, it's wonderful, it's true spirituality to know God now by his Holy Spirit and then one day face to face. 
Well, next time someone says to you, I'm spiritual but not religious, you can say, no, I'm I'm not religious either. Because I know God through Jesus Christ, and you can too. Let's pray. Lord, whatever we um, say uh, to uh, friends and family and neighbours and colleagues who um, don't believe who we might have a conversation like that with, Lord, uh, guide us in the particular instance how we do talk to those around us. But Lord, keep us really clear on these things ourselves. We pray that all that you have for us, the extraordinary privilege of being forgiven and freed by the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that we would walk in that. The extraordinary privilege of your Holy Spirit living in our lives, being with us now as we gather as church. Please, Lord, let us understand more and more of that. Show us the depth of your love and your kindness and grace to us. Reveal more of your purposes for us. And Lord, would your Holy Spirit lead us? Would he fill our church? Would he fill our lives? Would he produce his fruit of righteousness and holiness in us? Help us to walk after him. And help us to explain that in our own words, to share that good news with others in these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.